It's a story about medicine. Not human medicine, but medicine for pets. Join me on my podcast journey of memoirs of an animal medic. Hear the crazy, funny, thrilling, yet true adventures I've experienced in over 20 years as an animal medic on an actual animal ambulance. Here we go. Story 1, Dancing on the Edge. Animals are one of the greatest gifts God could have given us. I guess that's why I worked so hard trying to save their lives. Climbing under porches and down ravines and doing crazy shit that only an insane person would do. Over the past 20 years, I've done thousands of transports, but to tell their stories without first telling mine would be an injustice to you. So where should I start? I guess I'll start at the beginning. I was raised in a medical family. My mother's a registered nurse, my cousin a NICU nurse, my uncle was an OBGYN MD. All in all, there's about 11 RNs and 6 MDs in my family. So my entry into human medicine seemed all but inevitable. Hell, I've been reading books, medical books, since I was seven years old. And here I was on my first ride along in an ambulance, fulfilling the EMT requirements for a program that I was in. I'd done the eight-month class, and all that was left was the ride-along portion. Get signed off on these, and I could take the state tests, go look for a job, and start my path toward the ultimate goal. David Watts, emergency room physician. That was all planned out. That was what I was going to do. That's what I was going to become. That was the goal. That was the brass ring. But... Here I was in the back of an ambulance, riding along on my first call. I just happened to have been paired with a pair of paramedics called Chris and Bob, two of the coolest white boys I've ever mentioned. I only mention their ethnicity because I was raised in Buffalo, New York. Now let me just give you some context here. Buffalo, New York was once featured in the list of the top 10 most racist cities. Buffalo was number four. So as you can imagine, up until this point, my experience with Caucasians was uh, limited. So I'm doing this ride along. I had to do four eight-hour shifts. You could do them back-to-back. -back, you could space them out. I planned to do them back-to-back -to, -back to get them out the way. You know, so this was just a rung in a ladder of success that ultimately you'd know where I was heading. So... Here I am, sitting waiting for Chris and Bob to finish their initial count. Now, initial count is what the crews do before the shift. You go through, you make sure you got all your shit, you know, you got your drugs, you got all your supplies, everything you're going to need for your eight-hour shift, you know. Then you let your dispatcher know you're all set. They dispatch you to an area, you do your job, you come back, da 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 bada bing right? So, here I am, sitting in the back of the ambulance, waiting to get this started. I remember Chris sitting on the radio. He goes, oh, we got a ride along. Bob goes, yeah. He's on the EMT program. They look at each other and kind of smile. I remember back when I was in the EMT program. And uh, Chris picks up the microphone and goes, dispatch, this is unit 212 ready for deployment. Dispatch responds, confirm 212, you're to cover North Fremont. Have a good shift. Now, for Morse crews, 
Remember, Fremont would be a good, good, great, cushy assignment. Let me show you why. Fremont at the time was a very affluent area where a lot of well-to-do people lived. And subsequently, having an ambulance, an area where people get really good health care because they're really well, well, they're really well off. Usually it means you're going to have a cakewalk, which means an easy shift because people ain't sick because they get good health care. You see how that feeds into one another? But not for Chris and Bob, going Fremont was like a death sentence. Once they heard that assignment, they looked at each other, and without saying a word, Chris pulls out his cell phone and called what I later found was the inside line and talked to one of his favorite dispatchers. Bob looks back at me and said, we can't let you get bored to death on your first call, can we? I didn't know what he was talking about. I just smiled. Chris then turns around, hangs up his phone, and I hear the dispatch says, Unit 212, change assignment. Release strike car East Oakland. Have a good shift. They give each other a high five. Then Chris looks back at me and says, Buckle up. It's about to get real. Now, a strike car is a term for an ambulance unit that will respond to any area, any emergency, any area they were assigned. And everybody knew that if you were going to do Oakland, specifically East Oakland, you were going to be humping from the beginning of your shift until the end. At the time, East Oakland was suffering a big drug war and gangs were fighting for territory left and right. We had now been parked for more than 15 minutes when a call comes over the radio. Unit 2 have multiple shooting, at least three victims, 90th and Eads. Map book 533B2H6C. This was before you had GPS. Yeah, this was back in old school times. We had what we call a Thomas Guide. You had to pull this book out and look up the address. Now, if your dispatch was really on it, they gave you a heads up by giving you the page number and the coordinates by which to find the address. But let me break it down to you and how it worked. When looking up a location, each square represented half a mile. These squares are marked by a grid coordinates from A1 to J7 with, wasn't an approximate science, but it kind of got you there. And what you would do is you'd probably see someone flagging you down or you see lights of the police car or fire truck and you knew where you were in the location you were supposed to go to. Chris responded once he had an approximate idea of where we were going, 212 en route. And with that, we were off, headed towards the location. Now, for all my bravado, for all the experience that I thought I had from all the book training I have learned over the years, from my mom and my relatives, and then of course in my training in school, here I was doing my first call, and I couldn't stop my goddamn leg from shaking. My left leg was shaking uncontrollably. I mean, it was going to town. And I looked down at it like it had a mind of its own, and I'm going, what the fuck? Bob crawls from the front seat compartment through the little crawlway into the passenger compartment. He's starting to set up um, the IVs. And he looks at me and he goes, it's going to be okay. I guess he'd seen this before. I kind of smile, but I'm really not sure it's going to be okay because I don't know why my damn leg is doing this. Am I having a stroke? I don't know. Is that burnt toast? I couldn't really figure it out. But before I could get too self-indulged to my own problems, he calls to me, Dave, spike a line for me. This basically meant 
to hook up a lactator ringers or a bag of IV solutions to a line, then flood that line, let the fluids come from the bag through the line so that it would be ready to be hooked to a patient once they needed it. This cut down on having to do this when you're having multiple patients or patients that are critical in time is of the essence. As we pulled up, I could see the lights of the ambulances that were there before us, the police cars and fire trucks. And I'm scared. I'm scared as shit. Man, you don't hear me. I'm like, what is going on? But I'm I want to be in the moment. I want to learn. I've got to do this. ERMD, ERMD. That's what you're going to do. You got this. You got this. So we jump out the ambulance, and there's blood all over the concrete. I see four young black guys laying there. They're not old. Damn. They're around my age. That, that could have been me. I'm transfixed, and I can't stop staring. But then I hear, looks like a small caliber, most likely a MAC-10. Come from one of the police officers at the time, talking to another police officers. At that time, Mac 10s were the drug, were the gun of choice in the area, cheap, easy to get, and plentiful. So one of the young men had a G three GSWs. A GSW, by the way, is a gunshot wound. He had one to the abdomen and two to the thoracic cavity. That's the chest area. Due to the fact he may have been the most critical, he's what we call a load and go. No time for fucking around. Get him in the ambulance and get him to the hospital. No time for an extensive head-to-toe check. Get him there. Keep him alive. Get him to the hospital. Let him do their work. So, we get him in the ambulance. We start on our way to the hospital as Chris starts doing his primary assessment. Checking for breathing, checking entry, exit wounds. And he's got me here, David, hook up the EKG. This is a three-lead strip that monitors the heart rate. So I hook it up. I'm trying to not be in the way, but still be helpful. Playing shy does not work in emergency medicine. You're either all in or you don't fuck around. I start hooking it up. My hand's still shaking, but now at least my leg is stopped. Now my hands are shaking. I put the leads on. Chris is putting in the IV and then we hear the over the siren I can hear it so loud, so clear and then it starts to slow down damn is this, is this, is this patient about to go into before I can bring it up to attention he's already noticed it he jumps into the jump seat which is right at the head of the patient and is drawing up some epinephrine Epinephrine is used to increase the heart rate. He then says, Yo, man! To Bob, who's driving. Where are my jams? The blaring siren is now overshadowed with the sound that will run the length of that moment in time. Pushing the medication into the patient, trying to reverse the slow decline of the heart. He then grabs the paddles 
and begins to do dance with one paddle in each hand. I can see the emergency lights bouncing off the police car following us, reflecting off his face as he sang each verse of the song, looking straight at me. Then he stops singing and he says, Don't you know, each call is a battle between us and death. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you never stop fighting. I was terrified and perplexed. What the fuck was he talking about? I felt a strange sensation as if I was Alice, and I couldn't help but see how deep the rabbit hole actually went. And it was at that moment I didn't know if we were the devil in the song or the one reaching for God's hand. We arrived at the hospital, and all of a sudden, as he was into that demented character, dancing on the precipice of life and death, he was back, straight face in all business. He began to give the rundown to the trauma team as the gurney was rushed into the trauma room. Oh, a rundown is what was done to the patient during the transport en route to the hospital from the location you picked the patient up at. The trauma team took over and we were released. We had to go back to the ambulance, clean up, and reset for the next call. Damn. My leg is shaking again. Stay tuned for our next episode, Just Some Working Girls.